Hello, and welcome to the Self-Sufficient Hub podcast. I'm Carl from selfsufficienthub.com, and I'm here to talk about all things self-sufficiency, all things homesteading, and about how we can reduce the gap between our consumption and our production. Sustainability and food security matters. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 272 of the Self-Sufficient Hub podcast. I hope you're all safe and well. The uh, the weather has certainly turned and got a lot colder in the last few days here in the south of the UK. I hope you're all doing well wherever you are. Wherever you are in the world, you're not all headed into winter. I know some of you are just coming into summertime now and... Uh, I envy you. I envy you the sunshine and warmth that you are no doubt experiencing as I'm out there every day in these uh, cooler temperatures. But I'm not complaining too much. It has at least been nice and sunny today, if a little chilly. Anyway, that's uh, that's <laughs> that's summed up the weather where I am. Now we'll uh, get into today's episode. Today's episode is a continuation of our current Monday series which is a sort of a DIY series and within that series we're talking at the moment about different parts of sort of outbuildings and how you might construct one we did uh, sorry we did floors last week Um, today we're going to look at walls and what we're going to be talking about we're going to cover all sorts of things so these principles that I'm about to sort of share with you I use these whether I'm making a small rabbit run or whether I'm building a really large you know temporary housing for an actual person to live in these are the same principles I would use throughout and of course we've got decisions to make all the way along but hopefully this will put you in good stead to make good decisions for yourself so the first decision to make obviously is what you're going to build your walls out of now for most outbuildings the the the, the most common material would be timber and for good reason you know it's readily available it's relatively inexpensive having said that I mean of course the cost of timber has gone through the roof in the last 18 months or so but even so it still does work out the more economical option versus things like masonry walls and stuff now we will touch on a little bit of masonry in this episode but really we're talking you know sheds workshops garages things like that really for most people for most DIYers the go-to material is going to be timber and like I say these principles can be scaled right down to building chicken runs and all those kinds of things now I've used a variety of different methods to build lots of the outbuildings we have here in our garden We've got housing for our animals, including goats, but also chickens. We've also got a hay shed and a little tractor shed that we store our little ride-on mower in. And they all use basically these same principles. And we kind of use different versions of them based on the materials we have at hand and, you know, the cost and longevity. Now, longevity is a huge part of the decision-making process. So, Our hay shed, for example, I built that. It wasn't originally a hay shed. It was actually a poultry house. It was designed to hold about 20 chickens. But since then, we've got our chicken trailers. So they're in there and it freed up the space. So it's now our hay shed. And I built that really, really simply. Now, 
as I mentioned last Monday, what you're going to use it for is going to determine, you know, what sort of layout you use insofar as materials and longevity and things like that. Now, in our hay shed, we don't have a solid floor. We just have a couple of pallets in there to keep the hay off the ground. But other than that, I just threw it up quite simply over you know the ground over the grass that was there and I did it by using what I think is probably the quickest easiest cheapest method of building yourself four walls and the the way I did it I took four drive-in posts so they were four inch round with points on the end that you use a post rammer and you just push them into the ground I used them for the four corners then I put some 4B2 timber across the top of each post to make what a builder would, recall to, would refer to as a roof plate. So if you imagine it now, it looks kind of like a cube. You've got your four uprights in the, each of the corners and then you've got a beam that runs between each of the walls at the top of those timbers. And now, as I, as I say, you can see like a, a see-through cube. And then literally I just took some feather edge timber now feather edge is the sort of timber you'd use on fencing and I just tacked that between all the uprights and there you go boom you've got your walls now I did that with a few things in mind firstly I was quite comfortable that this wasn't going to be a permanent building insofar as I didn't need it to last more than a decade or so you know I was fully aware that this would probably last me five or six years at a minimum and by that time I'd be in a position to do something more permanent or perhaps we wouldn't be living here anymore so that's why I chose those options. Now, when we talk about longevity, what is or what are the weak points? Well, in that construction that I just mentioned, the weak points are twofold. Firstly, we're using drive-in posts. Now, whenever you're using timber that is put into the ground, it's going to be constantly moist and it's going to rot. That's why fencing needs replacing or timber fencing needs replacing periodically, because generally speaking, the bit that goes is the bit that's in contact with the ground. So I knew that these posts were going to rot out after a little while. Secondly, the cladding that I used, the feather edge, I used very, very thin boarding. Now, the idea was to offer some protection for our hens from the elements. And since then, it's continued to offer protection to our hay store. But, you know, it's not going to put up with too much banging and knocking around because it's fairly thin timber, like I said. Now, Having said that, it's lived for almost three years now and we've had our goats in that meadow rubbing up against it and uh, I think I did have to replace one of the slats, not replace, just, just place it back on the wall because it had come away where the goats had rubbed their horns up against it and kind of pulled it away. They used their horns a bit like a claw hammer and pulled it from the bearing. But, you know, generally speaking, something like this could easily last you 10 years if you know, you have, you know, the wind at your back, shall I say. The, the the trick to having timber that lasts a long while outside is to use tannalized timber. Now, we're all familiar with, you know, asking for treated timber versus non-treated timber. Treated timber is any timber that's had some kind of preservative treatment on it to help you know, reduce the rot that you're going to get from being exposed to the elements. But tannalized timber is a very, very specific type of treatment. Now, if timber is sold as tannalized, at least here in the UK, it's a protected term 
by law. It's, uh, I think, trademarked. And it means that it has been pressure treated with a very specific preservative called Tanalith. And it's kind of the gold standard in construction and fencing. Tanalized timber means you've got a timber that has been treated with a really good preservative. It's also been pressure treated in a vat where it's actually dipped. It's completely surrounded by this tanalith the treatment and it's done so under pressure which forces the treatment deep into the wood so what that means is it's going to last an awfully long time even really thin pieces of timber that have been treated with this method and it will be sold as tantalized timber should last you in excess of a decade if they're above ground now if they're constantly in touch with the ground then it's really going to depend on your ground conditions and the thickness of your timber but it's going to reduce the lifespan of them considerably so from that piece of information we can extrapolate that what we need to do is protect our timber from that constant moisture from it being in touch with the ground so if we wanted to build a, a building that was going to last a little bit longer we need to take some steps to protect that timber from being in contact with the ground so the first thing i would suggest is that you're going to want some kind of solid base even if you don't need one for the actual floor you might need one just for the walls now you can do that in a number of ways let's start by assuming that we've got a solid base we've got a concrete floor or some slabs or something like that then what you can do, if they're laid quite solidly on a foundation, so they're not going to move, you could actually lay a course of blocks or a course of bricks just around where your walls are going to sit. And what that's going to do is it's going to raise your walls just slightly off the ground. And then you would apply a little strip of plastic. Now, a builder would call that a damp proof course, and it's what we use in our homes. That's going to stop the moisture from sort of seeping from the ground up that little bit of masonry and into your timber. It's going to prevent that moisture from tracking up the building. And then you would put your timber work on top of that. You do so by using probably a 4B2 and you would run that all the way around your wall at the bottom. And just like your roof plate, this would be called a sole plate or a floor plate, and that would be used at the bottom. And then you would build all of your uprights in your four corners from there. What you could do, however, if you don't have a solid base like that, is you could actually use some sacrificial timber. You could use some 4x4 fence posts that were tantalized and run them around the ground, just lead flat underneath your floor, and then apply your little bit of plastic and use those pieces of timber to basically act as sacrificial timber um, with the rest of your building constructed just the same way above them. And then maybe in 10 years or so, you may need to replace just those pieces of timber at the bottom, which you can do by somehow propping the building. There's several different methods you can do. You can use to do that. You know, you can use a car jack or you can just use a bar and replace a little piece at a time. Or you can literally chop a little piece at a time out as it rots and replace it. So that's, you know, the basics and how I would look at starting with a really, really simple outbuilding. And the the sort of construction I'm talking about, you could easily have these walls built in an afternoon, really, really quite easily. And of course, you could even use pallet wood to build your walls instead of feather edge. You can use whatever cladding material you like, but I always tend to go for feather edge if I don't have a reason not to, because it's by far the cheapest option, I think, for giving you that 
appearance of it looking quite nice. You know, it's going to look quite visually attractive, like just like a, a new fence would. But also it's really relatively cheap and super easy to get hold of. Hi guys, I'm just very quickly interrupting the show to say please consider supporting it. If you'd like to consider supporting this one-man operation, there's lots of ways you can do it. One of the easiest of which is just to talk about it, to share it online, on your social media pages or with friends. By growing this audience is one of the best ways that we can actually ensure that the show is sustainable. If you'd like to support it more directly, then please consider becoming a patron. You can do so by going to patreon.com forward slash self-sufficient hub by becoming a patron you help me to achieve things that i'd love to be able to do in the future such as buying better equipment to increase the quality allowing me to pay myself some time to spend on the podcast again increasing the quality of it and also paying for things like transcription and show notes if you would like to do that please do consider going to patreon.com forward slash self-sufficient hub thank you Everything you do to support this show is really appreciated. Now, you're going to want to make sure that your four corner posts are pretty level. You're going to want to put them in with a spirit level. Now, there's a few ways you can do this. If you're going to be using the drive-in method that I mentioned at the start of this episode for that really simple building, then you're just going to want to use a spirit level on the side of your post every five or six hits and then just apply pressure to kind of straighten it up in the direction it needs to move. But if you're going to have a freestanding piece of timber, if you're going to protect it from the damp so you're going to be laying it on top of a damp proof course then the easiest thing to do is actually get a nice long piece of batten or rather two of those um, and screw one into the top of your post so you can rest that into the ground and use it to balance it and keep it level and then screw a second one at 90 degrees to that and that's going to allow you to have that post propped up exactly level and really really nice and straight but also sturdy and then you work around doing the same with all of your uprights and then by the time you've come to sort of Put your roof plate on and then start putting your cladding on it should start to solidify up and get a bit stronger now some other things you can do to increase the strength of your walls we've mentioned a little tiny bit of terminology so far you know we've mentioned roof plates and sole plates or floor plates you've got your corner posts and then the uprights that would go in between, if you wanted to strengthen up those walls, we'd call them studs. So you can put as many studs in as you like. And builders tend to work at studs every 400 millimetres or 600 millimetres, depending on how much strength we need and the type of studs we're using. But four by two studs every 400 millilitres, millimetres rather, is going to give you a really sturdy wall and it's going to give you lots more fixing points for your feather edge or whatever other cladding you're going to use now again I've mentioned feather edge several times and I've said why but if you wanted something that's going to last even longer you can get some really thick timber you can get some shiplap cladding for example or all sorts of rebated feather edge and more substantial timber basically the thicker it is the stronger it's going to be now 
At this point, you're going to want to make a decision. You may well want to put some diagonal braces in. Now, diagonal bracings are just going to really firm up the building. If it doesn't feel like it's really rock solid and sturdy, then you're going to want to put some diagonal braces in. And you can just do one in each corner and that will actually do the job for the whole building. It will hold the whole building nice and firm. Without the diagonal bracings, you do have some other options. Now, this is going to be a case of killing two birds with one stone. Let's say you were building a workshop or a shed or somewhere where you wanted to be able to hang things on the wall inside or you wanted something really, really strong on the inside. You could line the whole thing with some ply. Now, ply is really, really strong and it's great at bracing as well because if you imagine it, it's a big sheet of timber. It's not a length, it's a sheet. So, by fixing it, if you imagine you fixed just one screw in each of the four corners, you've effectively done the same as if you'd put two diagonal braces that were overlapping each other. So it's really great at bracing a building. And like I say, it's also, if you put this on the inside, you can have your cladding on the outside, your ply on the inside, and you're going to have a really, really solid building. This also opens up the opportunity to add insulation because you've now got a cavity between those two pieces of timber. So if you wanted to add some insulation, you could do so. And, you know, I'm thinking more for workshops or garages, things like that, things that you're going to be spending time in the winter. Now, another thing to think about, if you want to, again, extend the longevity of your building, you could use some kind of waterproof membrane and the place for that to sit would be just inside the cladding so if you imagine you'd built your structure your shell if you like with your four corner posts all your plates and your studs you could then run some waterproof membrane all around the outside and just fix that on with some staples and then add your cladding to that and what that's going to do is it's going to stop any moisture that gets on the cladding penetrating and getting deeper into the structure, which is going to make it last even longer. So you might find yourself in a position where after a decade or so, the cladding has started to decay and you're going to want to replace it. But the rest of the building is still going to be super, super sturdy and not rotten. And that's what we're after. Now, of course, we can maintain our buildings and we could add preservatives and paint to them over time which is going to make them last even longer i'm kind of coming at it just from a construction point of view and what you're going to get just from the construction but of course if you add preserver to your timber on the outside every few years then you're going to get an even longer lifespan from it now once we've done all of those things something else to bear in mind is ventilation doors and windows now of course we're going to use exactly the same construction methods for our doors and windows as we would for the rest of our building. So we're just going to add an additional upright either side of our door with a gap in between. And that's going to allow us somewhere to hang our door. And the same would apply for windows. Windows you can get really, really cheaply uh, secondhand from a lot of builders. But we are going to talk all about doors and windows, how you can make them, how you can hang them, how you can fit them in a later episode. I think the only other sort of area that I want to talk about are just your other options. Now, for cladding materials, I've spoke 
predominantly about, uh, you know, strips of wood like feather edge timber and shiplap and things like that. But of course, you can use sheet materials as well. You could use ply. We've actually used some what's called wany edge boards, which are big, long strips of tree trunk, basically, that are run down. They look absolutely lovely. And they were what were already on the tractor shed when we moved in. And when I rebuilt it, I salvaged and reused those and got a few more but you can also use anything that you can get your hands on really you can use corrugated iron you can use tin sheets you can use sheets of absolutely everything and it isn't actually beyond the realms of possibility just to build one without any timber or structural cladding at all just using the waterproof membrane that I've mentioned now I tend to use roofing felt now if you're of a certain age, uh, I'm in my mid-40s, and when I grew up, roofing felt was this black, bituminous substance that you'd see on the sheds, on the, on the roofs of sheds, whereas these days, it's not that at all. It's a very lightweight, breathable fabric, and it's incredibly easy to use, and it comes in really long rolls that are maybe £100 a roll, but those rolls will last you for several buildings, and you can literally make, and I have done this when I've been in a pinch and I've had to quickly construct some animal housing in an hour or two you can literally make your animal housing just by putting your uprights up and then using this membrane to quickly sheet around the outside and it's going to provide you that weatherproofing that you're going to want so you know you don't have to be confined by the more traditional methods and of course perhaps you want to just use chicken wire or stock fencing or something to form your walls depending on what it is you're trying to achieve I mentioned ventilation, particularly for our hens, because our hens are somewhere that we generally would shut in at night so that all the doors would be closed. So we want to allow some ventilation and I tend to allow a little bit of ventilation near the top so that the wind isn't blowing directly onto the hens overnight and I would leave Whatever I deemed to be an appropriate size opening, it's going to vary based on the size of the building and the number of hens you're going to keep. And I would tack some chicken wire across that as well because we don't want anything else getting in as well as the wind to attack our hens, do we? So I think there's several ways you can come at this, but the, the main takeaways I would suggest are that if you're going to be using timber for any kind of outbuilding, you really do want to get tantalized. It's going to make a huge difference. You're going to want to spend a bit of thought thinking about damp proofing and how you're going to stop that rising damp coming up and basically just being constantly in contact with your timber walls. And you're going to want to tie back to all of the thought processes that you put into your flooring and how solid you need it to be and how long you're going to want it to last. Now, the last thing to say is, of course, you can build all of these walls out of masonry. You can build them out of stone, out of brick, out of block. However, um, I don't really think that I can kind of give you much guidance on that in an audio format. Perhaps in the coming weeks and months, I'll have the opportunity to teach you guys how to lay blocks or bricks or stonework uh, in a video on YouTube. But, uh, you know, that is an option that's available to you. It's just one that is a lot of the things that we talk about. I quite often talk about the conflict between art and science. And uh, when it comes to masonry, it's more art than science insofar as the actual physical process of doing it. Of course, it's all science insofar as 
what size you want to use and how you actually go about it. But then in the actual doing of it, there is quite a bit of art and it does take a bit of practice to get used to. But that's not absolutely not to say don't have a go. Um, It's just to say that having a go is really the only way to learn. There's not a lot of goodies I can impart on you in this format that's going to help you, I don't think. But Whatever you do, do have a go and hopefully by the end of this little series you'll feel much more confident and competent to go out there and start building your own outbuildings, whatever shape or form they might take. We've built, since we've been on this property, we've built, oh goodness me, a a compost toilet, we've built a tractor shed, we've built hay stores, we've built goat houses, chicken houses of all shapes and sizes as well as a couple of sheds. So They're all really, really enjoyable projects and ones that are within reach of everyone, I think, if you're willing to have a little go. I hope you've found that useful. Coming up on Friday, I think we've got a Permaculture Zones episode. Uh, This Wednesday's podcast is a conversation about tiny homes and living off grid we've got mike from the homevert uh, youtube channel who's been on the show before and we got really good feedback about that episode he's coming back next week for next week's interview we've got loads and loads of really good stuff coming up i'm suffering with a bit of a cold you can probably hear it in my voice i do apologize for that but i will speak to you guys on wednesday stay safe and i'll speak to you soon cheers This episode of the Self-Sufficient Hub podcast was brought to you by our patrons. You guys are awesome. If you'd like to support the show, there's lots of ways you can do it. The easiest of which is just to like and review it wherever you get our podcasts. You can also tell somebody about it, whether that's on social media or just face-to-face with a friend who you think might benefit from it. But however you support our podcast, we really, really appreciate it. If you'd like to become a patron, please consider doing so by going to patreon.com forward slash self-sufficient hub. However you support the podcast, it's listeners like you that make all of this possible. Thank you ever so much for listening, and I'll speak to you really soon.